Justin here, heads up. This is part two of a two-part episode. If you haven't already listened to the first half, I recommend you do that first. And now we pick back up with Vanessa. Many, many years ago, when I would deliver uh, a diversity workshop, there were these case studies that we would use and they would be around, um, you know, age or gender and the, you know, male, female kind of uh, cis, I should say, kind of cisgender individuals. Um, you know, the kind of the typical stuff that we would talk about, say, 20 years ago when it comes to diversity. But there was one case study that was a that was about, you know, a transgender individual in the workplace. And so conversations 20 years ago about transgender individuals was very different than today. And um, so I loved using that because I wanted to challenge people and get them to think differently. And there would just be these reactions. Like, you know, if you're talking about having a female CEO versus what if we had a transgender CEO, you know, female CEO, oh, of course, you know, consciously I can say, yes, we should absolutely do that. And then when I would pose, what if we had a transgender CEO, people would just lose their lids. And I'm curious, as you've gone into organizations and worked with executives who have kind of rigid ideas around what is professional and acceptable, what are some examples of conversations you've had? You know, professional and acceptable are loaded terms. Uh, yeah, and, yes. And they can mean a lot of different things to different people. Uh, it depends on who you're talking to when you use those terms. But uh, I know I know what you're saying. And, and um, I think when you run into executives who have those, uh, who have that mentality that you just talked about, that's kind of still locked in. 20, 30 years ago, uh, mm-hmm. and hasn't really progressed into the 21st century yet. Um, you know, you, you have to start at, you know, with some real basics. And one of the things I like to do is to get people to um, back up, you know, maybe let down their guard a little bit, lose some of their stereotypes, and let's just talk about realities. And I give them, you know, I, I like to have uh, uh well, I guess one of the things I always suggest is the way to deal with this issue is to become aware and to become educated. You know, no real progress is going to happen until people raise their awareness level. And so that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is creating programs and delivering trainings and, you know, seminars and workshops that people can understand and can access and that can give them a basic framework of understanding um, that will allow them to move past the old gender stereotypes. Um, you know, I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time talking about gender authenticity, but I think this might be a good place to jump in. For a moment. Uh, here's my definition of gender authenticity, and I included this in my last book. Gender authenticity is the right of every individual to express their orientation and their identity without fear of coercion to conform to social stereotypes. So if we can get out from under that whole coercion piece where we're, we're forced to conform to social stereotypes, if we can get past that and allow people to bring their authentic selves to work instead of wearing some mask or creating a false persona or pretending to be someone they're not, if we can get past that, what that does is open us up to be our authentic selves and allow us to accept other people's authenticity as well, which again, takes us to a whole different level in terms of what we're able to achieve as individuals and corporately. And, and I try to share that with organizations and say, listen, if we do this, you're, you know, you're uh, 
teamwork is going to improve. Your internal branding is going to improve. You know, your uh, overall productivity is going to improve. And, and, and all, in all likelihood, your bottom line is going to improve. Uh, mm-hmm. And most organizations get it when you start talking about bottom lines. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I think it's just it, it's a, a question of putting it into context and helping people understand that this is this kind of thing and raising awareness and and you know educating ourselves about this particular phenomenon is going to be beneficial uh, because trans people are here. We're not going away. There are many many organizations that have openly trans people working in them now, and it's really just a question of you know equipping organizations with the tools and information and resources they need to be prepared to deal effectively with those folks in workplace situations. And that's my job. That, that's what I try to do is to, to provide, you know, that equipping uh, in ways that are meaningful and accessible and useful. I couldn't help but think of, you know, RuPaul's quote of we're all born naked and the rest yeah. is drag. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah, to a certain degree, that's true. It's well, it, it, I think of you know, it's part of gender expression is just the clothes that we wear. Yes, of course. And, um, and you know, I there was someone that I was debating with, and I was like, well, I don't, I don't like the shirt that you have on, you know, and that's extremely reductive, right? But I was trying to get them to understand, like, that's what we're debating about, in part. Yeah. Well, clothing to me is just simply an external demonstration uh, of who we are on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when, when I do tr- trainings, for example, you know, I, I give people some very basic understandings and I parse out the differences between sexual orientation and gender identity and gender expression. And I talk about how gender expression is different than the other two, because gender expression is about an external demonstration of who we are. The other two mm-hmm. are on the inside. You know, your sexual orientation and your gender identity are internal, but mm-hmm. your gender expression, the clothing that you wear, your hairstyle, the, you know, your jewelry, your, your style, whatever it might be, that's external. And, and other people can see that. And because they can see it, they can make judgments about it. And that's where discrimination often enters the picture is based on visual cues that people take in and they go and they make judgments about. Uh, and sometimes those judgments are positive and sometimes they're not so positive. So we need to give people, you know, facts and reality and truth so that they can make informed judgments as opposed to just knee-jerk reactions, you know, to what somebody may or may not be wearing. Because frankly, what I wear on the outside really has nothing to do with whether or not I'm able to do my work. Mm-hmm. It's just simply a reflection of who I am on the inside. That's all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if people can view it, you know, from that perspective and use that kind of context, you know, I think it can maybe help us get past that initial, you know, hump of negativity and move into some more fertile, you know, soil that can help us, you know, uh, generate some progress. Something I heard in what you said, kind of looking at it from another angle is to, to reject the way that someone's expressing themselves via, you know, their clothing that outside expression is a rejection of them as a human being and who they are inside. Yeah. No, you're right. And, uh, and because that's true, I think we have to be very careful about it. Uh, rejecting people because of who they are is a very slippery slope. It's not a good place to be. Um, mm-hmm. it, it causes all kinds of social problems and, and 
and social ills. To reject someone because of their skin color, you know, or their age, or their sex, you know, or their abilities, their physical abilities, or whatever, that's just wrong. You know, mm-hmm. it, it just is. When, you know, it's a moral and ethical, you know, situation, um, and we can choose to make good ethical decisions. Or we can choose to go down the rabbit hole of negativity. And mm-hmm. right now, our country seems to be diving headlong down that rabbit hole. Um, and that has me deeply concerned. One of the things I'm hoping, and I've been making some noise about this recently, um, I'm hoping that companies and major corporations, particularly those who claim to be allies, you know, uh, Pride Month is coming up in June, and mm-hmm. we see all these corporations that show up for the parades, you know, with the floats and, and the, the booths, you know, at the Pride celebrations and you know, all of that kind of thing. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, you know, okay, so you're allies and you want to show up for the Pride celebration. That's great. But right now we need you to speak up on our behalf and talk to these elected officials and let them know that attacking the LGBTQ community and particularly the trans community right now is simply unacceptable and it's wrong and it needs to stop. We need to reverse that trend. I mean, there's over 500 bills that are either pending or that have recently been passed that are anti-trans in this country right now in state houses around the nation. And um, because that's true, companies who claim to be our allies need to Put their money where their mouth is, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, mm-hmm. Don't show up in June and tell me you're an ally if you're not willing to speak up and speak out on behalf of my community when we need I guess mm-hmm. that's that's my take on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to drop one little thing on, on – um, on, so Bud Light, I'm very curious to see how Bud Light handles Pride Month considering every prior year their logo would change to a rainbow logo. And I'm curious – what side of the fence they feel like being on in June. Um, We don't have to talk about that. But I do, what I do want to dig into is that legislation because what's frightening to me and, and also concerning is that others in the, uh, others who identify within the LGBTQ umbrella aren't as concerned or outraged as what, as, at what's happening to legislation against trans individuals, particularly in Florida and some other states, because this is a really slippery slope mm-hmm. that will turn into anti-gay, anti—you know, you name it. Right? This yeah. is—they're attacking the smaller part of that umbrella because that's where they can start to draw a wedge. Well, yeah, and, and they always go after the low-hanging fruit, and you know, which means the most vulnerable population. And transgender folks are considered to be the most vulnerable simply because our numbers are not that huge. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, our opponents feel as though, oh, okay, we can go after them because they're not in a position to fight back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that makes us easy pickings. Uh, and we need to disabuse them of that notion if we can, because uh, trans people are not going away. We, mm-hmm. we might have to go underground in some places. We might have to you know, do whatever's necessary to survive, but we will survive and we will not go away. Uh, and and I think it's just, you know, really critical that people understand that. Uh, the fact that we are under attack right now does not mean that we're going to disappear because we aren't. Mm-hmm. We will be here long after these anti-trans bills have, you know, passed away and 
gone into the dustbin of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's really important that people know that and be, and be aware of that. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can, you know, you can pass laws and you can, you know, play your games and, and do your political stunts and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, transgender people will still be here and we will still be making our contributions and we will still, you know, be the gifts to the world that I know our community truly is. And there's, you know, along with that, I can't help but think about, you know, our history. I just think of, you know, as a gay man and thinking about the history of leading to more wide acceptance of gay individuals. And you look back at Stonewall and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the gay men. It was the trans individuals (laughs) and the drag queens that were the ones throwing the bricks and the ones that were leading the charge. It was Marsha Johnson, you know, and Sylvia Rivera and those folks who were, you know, leading the, you know, there wouldn't be a modern day rights movement for our community without, you know, those folks. Yes. And I feel like we need to, you know, out of historical respect, pay that back as gay men who have the privilege of wider acceptance. And I don't, I don't feel that we have wide, wide acceptance, but wider acceptance. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to. That's true. Find ways to pay that back. So hopefully this work does some of that. That'd be great. Uh, what? And, you know, I think we all, you know, are in this together, frankly. I don't, I don't, you know, say that, well, you've got gay men over here and you've got trans people over here. I think we're mm-hmm. all just part of, you know, a big community. And, you know, we need to help each other and do whatever we can to be supportive of each other. And I have never understood. It has never made any sense to me why certain factions within the larger LGBTQ community are so adamantly antagonistic toward each other. That has never mm-hmm. made any sense to me. You know, we've got to pull together, you know, like Benjamin Franklin said, we must all hang together or, sh- or most surely we will all hang separate. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's, it's critical that, that we come together and that we combine our efforts and our strengths and our, you know, our power, whatever that might be to create uh, better situations for all of us. I certainly want to be supportive of my, you know, gay and lesbian and bi friends, you know, Mm -hmm. in the community. And I would hope that they would want to be supportive of me and my community. As we think about some of this legislation that's been introduced, what do you see as the impact of belonging in organizations, in, you know, different communities? Well, I think the belonging model can be a strong template for organizations to adopt and to you know inculcate and, and to utilize throughout the entire strata of their organizations uh, and from those c-suite on down you know to the newest employee um, I think that belonging you know creating uh, an environment in which belonging is central you know can be so incredibly empowering um, and in the process, uh, lead toward greater success for any mm-hmm. organization. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the more you empower and equip your people uh, with knowledge, with information, with tools, resources, whatever they need, you know, to be successful, the more you do that, the more success you're going to see. Uh, you know, one follows the other. So I think that, you know, the whole creating belonging model is, is really a great, you know, tool to use in that effort you know, to move toward that successful, you know, scenario that, that we'd all like to, you know, attain. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, and sure. I think, I think, you know, if we look at the acceptance side, I think there is an imperative there for 
organizations to speak out because hey executive team your people are under attack right right that's right and i think and, they, yeah if they don't do that then they are letting down that particular you know group of people mm-hmm. uh, and if they'll do it for that group of people then they'll do it for other groups of people and so mm-hmm. it's, it's really a question of being consistent in terms of how you apply your values and your ethics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what gets at the leader, you know, gets at the executive leaders is that bottom line, right? And if people are feeling under attack, feel that they're, you know, they're in danger, they're not going to be showing up with their best selves and they're not going to be productive. Well, let me let me put it this way. If if I were living in Texas, right? God forbid, but if I were, um, <laughs> I would not feel comfortable as an out transgender person, you know, working for a corporation in Texas. Uh, because of the overt attacts that are, are coming direct or aimed directly at the transgender community by the mm-hmm. Texas government mm-hmm. or, or Florida or any of these other states that are passing, you know, anti-LGBTQ laws. Um, and if I'm not comfortable and I don't feel safe and I don't feel respected, then why would I want to stay there? Why mm-hmm. would I want to continue to work, you know, for a company in a state that doesn't respect me, doesn't protect me, doesn't appreciate me. Uh, um, and that's why I think you and I are so fortunate to live in states like Illinois and Minnesota that have mm-hmm. you know, uh, state governments that are protective of our communities. Um, sadly, there are a lot of states where people there are not so fortunate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I just think that we you know, need to make companies aware that if they're not supporting their LGBTQ, you know, workers and employees and clientele, mm-hmm. if they're not doing that, then they are potentially endangering their ability to be as successful as they might otherwise be. Is that mm-hmm. simple? Yes. Yes. And supporting your LGBTQ employees is not just changing the color of your logo for a month. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I tell companies all the time, you know, hey, listen, there's 11 other months out of the year, you know, when you could be flying pride flags and having, you know, celebrations and doing events and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It doesn't have to always be in June. You know, I tell companies on June 30th, don't fold up the pride flags and put them in the closet for the next 11 months. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, you can do better than that. Um, it's, it's just really important. I think to, uh, to continue to let your LGBTQ people know that you have their back and that they matter and that you are willing to be supportive and that you are doing what you can to create uh, a work environment that um, is as inclusive and as respectful and safe as possible. I did a, you know, and, and let me just digress for a minute and talk about safety at work. Um, I worked with a team in Chicago uh, a couple of years ago. We did a survey uh, in this organization um, and we did uh, employee surveys, and we did a number of in-person interviews. And we took all that information, you know, analyzed the data, uh, and came up with a a number of different uh, findings and recommendations and suggestions for the organizations. And one of the things we learned was this, 49%, almost half of the people who worked in this organization said that they did not feel emotionally or physically safe at work. And I'm thinking to myself, that really ought to be a red flag. 
you know, if half mm-hmm. of your people don't feel safe at work, I'd say you've got yourself a problem here. So first thing you need to do is be aware that the problem exists. And secondly, you need to get serious about addressing it. And so that's what, you know, I've been trying to help them do ever since is address those kinds of situations. And that certainly is the case for people who are LGBTQ organizations. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel safe, if you don't feel respected, if you don't feel welcomed, you know, then that's a reflection on the organization and the culture that exists there. Now that can be changed, but it has to be intentional. And mm-hmm. that's when people contact folks like me or, or like you and bring us in and say, Hey, you know, we've got a situation here that we, we don't think is conducive to you know, the success that we want. Can you help us change this? And then, mm-hmm. then you go to work and, and you do what you need to do to try to, to help them make the changes that, are not only necessary, but sometimes that are really hard. Uh, it's not all, you know, you don't change a culture overnight. Um, mm-hmm. Cultures exist for a reason. You know, they they didn't happen overnight. They're not going to be changed overnight. But they can be changed. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's an incremental process that starts with education and awareness, and then you take steps from there. And uh, so I think feeling safe at work, feeling res- respected at work, um, feeling included at work, uh, feeling valued for who and what you are and what you bring to the table and, and what you have to offer. All of those things are key and they're critical. And the whole, you know, creating belonging model, I think, is a reflection of how, you know, we as a society need to to think long and hard about those kinds of situations in our institutions, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in whatever it is that we're doing. So that, you know, we can live fuller, more productive, you know, happier, healthier lives. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I thank you for that. Yeah. And, you know, what, one thing that um, one thing that you said that I was thinking about was, you know, if this organization, you know, that you're talking about, yeah. half their people don't feel safe. And then we wonder why nobody wants to come back to the office. <laughs> well, uh well vanessa thank you. thank you so much for joining me today what a pleasure um, i so i want to make make sure that you have an opportunity to promote anything like any what are you working on right now that you want people to hear about and how can we get in touch with you well first of all you, you're welcome to visit my website it's just www.vanessasheridan.com uh, that's pretty straightforward and you're welcome to visit that. You can find out about my books there. You can contact me through that. You can learn more about the work that I do, some of the clients that I've had, that sort of thing. Uh, so you know, feel free to reach out to me if there's something I can do to help you or your organization. That's the first thing. Uh, secondly, in terms of what I'm doing right now, I just feel so fortunate to have such great clients for my consulting business. Uh, I was just in New York uh, not that long ago doing a training for a global site leaders for Pfizer at their world headquarters in New York and just had a fantastic time talking to these folks who, you know, who are, who are really smart, very capable, you know, international business people. Uh, and we just, we just had the most wonderful time. And, um, I, uh, recently wrote a new, um, uh, HR policy for Pfizer about onboarding transgender uh, employees to help bring them on on board. So Pfizer is making some efforts to, you know, be more trans inclusive. And I get to be, you know, a small part of that. So, so I'll be traveling around the country later this year to various sites, doing trainings for management and frontline staff, 
you know, in terms of trans awareness and, and about this new policy that uh, I just wrote. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And I'm also doing a, a lot of really fun, interesting work with uh, Marriott International to uh, help them improve their whole uh, intentional uh, marketing campaign to the LGBTQ community. So there's a lot going on. I feel, again, really fortunate to be in positions where that's going on. I've been working on a new book, um, and I don't know if this is ever going to come to fruition or not. It's, it's been a slow process. I've been working on it for about a year now. But it, it's a book on personal authenticity. And uh, you know, it kind of aligns with the conversation we've had here today. But mm-hmm. uh, that that's a something that I'm continuing to learn about. And as I learn, I, I like to write because it helps me process things. And hopefully mm-hmm. that will end up turning into a new book as well. One of these days. So those are a couple of the things that I've got going on. And, and again, I'm just one of the luckiest trans people on the planet. I, I love what I do. Um, I, I'm, I've been doing it for a long time. And I just gonna I want to keep doing it because I know that it makes a difference. And frankly, I, as I look around me, I see this the incredible need for raising awareness and for educating people. And that's where I plant my flag and try to try to make a difference. And I'll just keep doing that for as long as I can. Uh, Vanessa, you say you're the luckiest trans person on the planet, but I think the planet is lucky to have you and the work that you're doing. Um, so thank you uh, for for all of the necessary work um, and. Um, I want to continue helping you in whatever way I can. So likewise, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you all again on another episode. Bye.